Hey, everybody. Welcome to Healthy Discourse. It's Emily here, and I'm super excited to welcome Dr. Nicole Craven back to the show. Hey, Nicole. Hello, hello. Thanks How for are you? Me. Can you hear me okay? Yes. Okay, perfect. All right. So if you've not listened to um, our episode on multivitamins and minerals for kids that we did a couple episodes ago, I definitely encourage you to go back and listen to that. Also, we'll have a little bit more introduction about Dr. Nicole, but she is an integrative pediatrician at Robin Hood Integrative Health. She works alongside Dr. Wiggy with a great team there. And I'm so excited to have her on today. I asked a question with our Raise Them Well um, customer group a couple weeks ago, and a lot of people asked about today's topic, which is food sensitivities and allergies in kids. So loaded topic, right, Dr. Nicole? <laughs> yes, for sure. So we're going to dig in because I think there's a lot that parents don't understand about food sensitivities and allergies. Um, I think most of us remember perhaps when we were a kid, there was like one kid that had anaphylactic response to something and had to carry around an EpiPen. And that's kind of what we still think about when we consider food allergies and sensitivities in kids. And unfortunately, that's not a full picture. So since our kids aren't having anaphylactic responses, we kind of say, oh, no, it's not a food allergy. You know, they're fine. And um, speaking from experience, and I'll dive into that a little bit later, it doesn't always look like that, right? It does not, for sure. It can be much more subtle. So, yeah, there, yeah there are all different signs. Um, usually, if you have, if it's a food allergy, not a food intolerance, and we'll probably go into what the difference is. But with food allergy, you typically do have some GI symptoms. Not everyone, though, but nausea, diarrhea, vomiting, and stomach discomfort of all sorts. But also you have allergy-like symptoms. So that can be, even if, if, if kids don't express any symptoms in their GI tract, they can just have eczema or hives or just what you think of as hay fever symptoms. Mm. And if, it's, if it's bad, you get cough and asthma-like symptoms and shortness of breath. And of course, you know, you were talking about the anaphylactic symptoms and that's for the moderate to severe food allergies. So you typically think of as peanut being the one that triggers it or shellfish where you get mouth, lip swelling, eye swelling, you know, anything that's swelling on the face is probably not good. Tingling <laughs> right. or itchiness, itchiness in the back of the throat. Um, that's when you know that that could be the first sign of going into anaphylaxis, which right. then, if, if you don't recognize can lead to, you know, asthma, symptoms, shortness of breath, and um, just progress into something very serious. Right. Let's, let's dive into both of those a little bit more, but let's talk about, first of all, speaking back when we were kids, like there were maybe a couple of kids that had food allergies, but it was incredibly uncommon. And now we live in a world where I know with my kids up until they're in like first grade, at least there's, you know, we can't bring peanuts. You can't bring any nuts. You can't bring this, this, and this anymore. What has happened that so many more kids have allergies and sensitivities? 
is it just that we're that much more aware or would you say that more so there's something happening in our environment that's causing this? Uh, for sure, it's not just awareness. <laughs> but, you know, awareness, I think, in general in health, that that is part of why we have increased, increases in any chronic illness. But if you look at the statistics, it is true that food allergies are on the rise. And I believe that's from um, because of a number of different factors. But we, we have a good report from the CDC in 2010 that said one in 13 children have food allergies. I can tell you in my practice, I see it a lot more often than that. But even then, the rate of food allergy had increased by 50%. So that's mm. a big number, 50% over 15 years. So wow. in, just, in just 15 years time, 50% more people had out food allergies than previously and half of all children who have one food allergy and this is very hard for parents they're allergic to more than one food right so you have to ask what would be the reason right yeah um and it's important to note actually that it's in industrialized countries so mm. so there's got to be a common factor in the industrialized countries as opposed to comparison to the way of living of non-industrialized countries and the first i think this the one that is accepted by conventional medicine proven by science is that is something called the clean hygiene hypothesis i don't know if you ever heard of that i haven't it means that we're too clean uh-huh well i do the, know that but i've not heard that hypothesis <laughs> right it, basically proven that we need to go outside and roll in the dirt and get all those microbes on us to help us populate our gut to have all of the healthy bacteria and yeast and the, the big wide variety diverse group of bacteria um, so that these bacteria in this we call this our microbiome in our gut we get it from all different places but if we're too clean and we're using hand sanitizer everywhere we go, or we're not even drinking mm -hmm. dirt where these healthy bacteria are, um, and then sometimes, you know, you have children who weren't able to have a vaginal birth or um, breast milk, and those are two things that help us establish that healthy microbiome. But when, when we're over clean, then we basically are not um, jumpstarting our immune system. And well, yeah, that's a big, that's a big deal these days. Sorry, continue. Super big deal. Yeah. So it, if your immune system is not slowly getting exposed to things to challenge it, then all of a sudden it sees these things like food as a big challenge when it typically, mm -hmm. typically wouldn't, right? Right. And at the same time, somewhere along the way, it was the worst decision. We decided to avoid the foods that were higher allergen. Until, right. And until the, the kids got older. Right. So right. Luckily, that's been changed now. It's like you don't you don't avoid peanut for a, a whole year. You know, you can even slowly introduce very early and, you know, b before six months of age because we want our bodies not to see it as foreign. So the immune system starts to see all of these things as foreign. And that's how you get the food allergy. That's actually what it is. Right. But, in well, and I that the food quality, of course, we talked about this a little bit on that. Um, yes. Uh -huh. 
the previous podcast, but when you genetically modify the food, like for instance, wheat is uh, most of it here is a dwarfed plant is genetically modified mm -hmm. and has um, a higher concentration of the gluten protein in it. And it's the protein that causes allergy. Right. So, so we're eating these genetically modified foods that are also poor quality and, and have pesticide and preservative in them. So right. that just adds to the fact that it is almost like more of a chemical, um, chemical molecule to us. Now that's not proven, but I feel very strongly that that has a lot to do with it. Right. Well, and I know like, for example, you know, you know, the song where it talks about the amber waves of grain, right? And Wiggy always talks about how we don't like look at the grain anywhere you go. There are no amber waves of grain. They right. are all knee high. Right. That. There's, there's... The, I think it's the Oklahoma musical that's, that talks about the waving wheat. That's another mm -hmm. one. That's such a right. We don't have that anymore. And I will say like, just to pause, I mean, Mike, like, this is so sad, but I'm just going to tell you that this little story. Um, most people know that we've adopted two of our boys out of foster care. And while they were still foster, while they were still foster children, we had visits from social workers every single month for two years. So that's just part of how the process works. And so I was, one of the social workers came, she was actually filling in for hours. So she didn't know us at all. And she was just like standing there watching our kids. And I was like, Hey, like, are, is everything okay? I know. I mean, I knew that I didn't have anything to worry about ever, but still was always nerve wracking. And she was like, I just think this is awesome. Your this is what, exactly what she said. Your kids are the only kids I've seen in months playing outside and getting dirty. And I'm like, I'm sorry, what? Like I make my kids go outside and get dirty every single day, all day long. Yes. But I just, I mean, it was a sweet compliment, but I was kind of appalled too, that like this social worker who's going around meeting with kids day in and day out, like that this is so shocking to her that she's sitting there staring at them. Like, it's just not okay. Like we've got to let kids go outside and get dirty again. So that's just my little soapbox on that. But uh, <laughs> and now we can think of this. Okay, I got to prevent food allergies, so I have to get my kids dirty. <laughs> That's right. And and I and I love that you mentioned the sanitizer because I've been cringing for the last year and a half with this overly sanitized, overly bleached everything, and mm -hmm. it is something to take into consideration. And so, just what I did because a lot of time, a lot of places we would go, you know, you had to sanitize and whatever. And that's still the case in a few of them. But what my kids do is they bring along one of our raise them well sanitizers, because what's interesting about that is the stabilized oxygen kills the bad bacteria, but keeps the good guys. And right. so it's not killing off that gut bacteria that's so important. And so just that a note to parents, you do have options. You don't have to be all or nothing with all the things all the time either. So just yes. a note on that. Yeah, but that's wonderful. Yes, I know we have lots to get to. And so let you talked a little bit about symptoms um, earlier. And I know like we kind of know that the, the gut things and unfortunately, I have a child that has Nicole and I've talked about this. And unfortunately, he got a lot of gluten, a lot of processed food by accident at camp last week, which I did not realize that was going to happen. And my poor child has been struggling big time for about four days with, with a post-gluten nastiness. <laughs> but anyway, 
But other than the, I would love for you to talk a little bit more about the skin issues because I hear about eczema from our customers so often. And I don't think that most parents understand the connection with the gut and the skin. Can you talk about that just a little bit more? Yes, absolutely. So I see eczema is also very rapidly, rapidly on the rise. And it's part of the allergy triad. Um, when I see kids with eczema, which is very comic, and eczema is a chronic allergy condition of the skin, and it can come from like multiple causes, but I always look to make sure that they don't have a food allergy or food intolerance. Mm -hmm. and, and commonly they do. They commonly have, I would say 50% of my kids have some sort of maybe mild food allergy, all the way from mild to severe food allergy. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, my population comes to me because they realize, you know, they have some underlying chronic illness. So it's not the same as the regular conventional medicine pediatric population, but it's still a lot higher than what the stats say that I see. Um, right. If they don't have a food allergy, it's likely that in eczema, there is a food intolerance of some sure. some sort. Um, sometimes kids don't even have gut symptoms when they just present with eczema, which is an interesting scenario. And I think in, in Chinese medicine, they say like your body shows its weaknesses wherever, wherever um, your body has its biggest weaknesses is where your symptoms are going to occur. So okay. even if there's some sort of food, like chronic inflammation in the gut from a food allergen that you're getting or even a food intolerance that you're getting exposed to over and over again. Sometimes you don't even have gut symptoms, which is tricky, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. We have eczema or hives or psoriasis or some right. skin, skin manifestation. Some people um, just develop chronic inflammation in other areas like the brain, like anxiety. Right anxiety or joint pain or fatigue, achiness all over that, that type. Headaches, of right? Headaches is headaches, another one. Headaches. Mm -hmm. I know so, that from my little guy. So <laughs> yeah. And constipation mixed with diarrhea because mm -hmm. that's yep. sure. So yes. intolerance symptoms are more vague and they're very, they're confusing because they're delayed. If, mm. if your parents are like, well, I, you know, I didn't notice if, if my child eats egg, they don't automatically say my stomach hurts and run to the bathroom with diarrhea. Well, because food intolerance can take days to show up. Right. And because you're probably eating those protein allergens along the way the whole time, it becomes more of a, a chronic presentation where there's persistent gas and bloating or just, you know, they don't feel like they can digest as well. Like I said, constipation mixed with diarrhea some days and then reflux is a big one for food allergy where your food comes up and down. The kids don't know how to describe that. So that's a very hard one. For oh, mine does. He says I threw up in my mouth. So, oh, well, yeah. <laughs> well, and so just just to highlight that, because I mean, like I said, it's been a rough week around here as an example <laughs> for that. So my kid got a bunch of gluten and lots of other things. So this was highly processed food that he doesn't normally get. Um, and it's my fault because I didn't realize this was going to happen, but I should have mentioned it anyway, but I just didn't think of it because he's been doing so well. 
so he got a bunch of gluten on Tuesday and I think a little bit on Wednesday. Wednesdays when the bathroom stuff started, but he didn't start feeling sick to his stomach until Friday. Interesting, right? Right. Three, then he was, three it, to he seven was just, days sometimes. Right. So yeah. he was just not feeling great on Friday. Saturday, he's nearly bedridden, finally throws up once, which he usually throws up twice, and then didn't throw up again until last night. And now today, he's fine. So that's kind of, that's kind of how our, so it's been almost a week, right? And yeah. I could easily say, wow, well, he, he must have a stomach bug because he hasn't had anything in the last couple of days, but that all goes back to Tuesday, right? So, mm -hmm. right. <laughs> so a stomach bug doesn't present like that, right? Because you're going to be vomiting persistently. Mm -hmm. you, you can't eat, you know, there's nausea, all, all of those things. So right. I think it might be a mild stomach bug, but it's usually food. Yeah. You know what happened? So for him, you knew he had these this exposure for a couple of days and then you took it away and detoxed him with eating, you know, good vegetables. And, you know, luckily it's summer. So he's out in the sun and that helps detox and sweating helps detox. So he can get it out of his system faster and recover. But when you don't know that you have food intolerance, you get all these other nonspecific symptoms that go along with the gas and bloating. You get used to the gas and bloating because it just is a, a, a very uh, mild symptom sometimes. And then all of a sudden you have these nonspecific rashes popping up and puffiness under the eyes and post-nasal mm -hmm. drip where the kids, you know, clearing their throat all the time and always congested for no reason. And uh, the dry bumps on the outer part of the upper part of the arms right little dry bumps or flesh colored dry bumps will be on the cheeks and the upper outer part of the arms that's often food intolerance and then yeast infections where you get like weird yeast rashes on your skin in the diaper area depending on what right it's, that's all that all can be linked to food intolerances and ironically um, when you eat your the foods you're intolerant to, yeast grows more heavily in in the gut, and so then you get the yeast start to crave sugars and carbs because that's how they thrive. So mm -hmm. the kids constantly crave sugar and carbs, which may even be what their food allergy is or food intolerance is. So fascinating! Oh my goodness. Okay, let's talk about how we test for intolerances and allergies and we kind of um define the difference between those but can you do that more specifically for us define the difference between an allergy and an intolerance and then talk about the testing process for sure so the difference so the symptoms are different that's the only difference we've gone over but the um a food allergy is an immune response to a particular type of immune cell called immuno, immunoglobulin E, and that's an antibody. So basically you ingest a food, the system sees it as foreign, and these IgE or immunoglobulin E antibodies are made to attack the food protein. And that attack leads to this allergic cascade, which causes all of those allergy symptoms we talked about and the release of histamine, which is the, the molecule that causes all the itchy sneezy type symptoms. Mm -hmm. and then other inflammatory cells as well. 
So that's that's the true allergy tip. I mean, true allergy. And then a food sensitivity is that um, it does not stimulate the immunoglobulin E cells or IgE cells is what we commonly call them. Mm-hmm. But it stimulates possibly other immune cells. There are other immunoglobulins in the body in, in very ab- abundant amounts, especially in the gut. And that includes IgG and IgA. And then some food intolerances are actually not even directly correlated to a specific immunoglobulin or even to a specific immune cell. And they can be caused by, you know, specific enzyme deficiencies in our gut or the gut imbalance we talked about with dysbiosis is the the name for having your microbiome or, you know, the bad bacteria in your gut overgrow. Mm-hmm. So those can all, all be caused all cause food intolerance. Right. And so what I see happen a lot is parents will take their kids to the pediatrician and they will run the IgE panel which for those allergies. And then the child will show no allergies. And then the parent is continuing to be overwhelmed and frustrated because it shows nothing. And most pediatricians, from what I understand, are they just don't even go down the IgG router or look at some of these other panels. Right. And so majority of doctors don't do a food intolerance test. Right. Right. And so that's something that I think parents need to be understand that if you go to a traditional doctor and ask for your child to be tested, you're probably not going to get that full picture. And I just want to make sure parents are aware of that because I feel like I've shared that with many, many people over the years that we, um, we, you know, we just, we don't, we just generally as a culture don't know that. And I want to make sure that we're helping parents understand if you go and ask for this, this is probably what you're going to get, not this full thing that we're talking about right now. So talk to me about if a child does come into your office and is presenting with symptoms that you do believe are allergies or sensitivities and tolerances, what, how do you generally test? Well, we tend to do blood work on almost anyone that is willing to to get blood work done. And so the first test we do that way is to do the IgE test, which is the food allergy test. And you'd be surprised at how many people have some sort of food allergy. But that is based on the most common food allergens that people think of, like dairy. Dairy is the most common food allergy in our country. And mm-hmm. wheat, egg, peanuts, fishes, shellfishes, other nuts, corn, soy, basically um, that group. It's about that test. The, the most common test I do is about 12 different foods mm-hmm. that are the most common allergies that we see. Now, Emily, you'd be surprised at how many people have a positive test from that, but that doesn't tell the whole story because if you move on to food intolerance, we can do a food intolerance test that tests like over a hundred different foods. Right. That is typically an IgG test Mm -hmm. and it can change over time because we um, are, we can change our food intolerances, which is super nice. Meaning (laughs) if we avoid what is we're intolerant to at that time, then our gut can heal and get the right microbes in there and it's not considered an allergy yet. So 
um, then you can tolerate that food later in life. And I see that. Right. Yeah. Right. Which is really encouraging because I know a lot of people get really overwhelmed by food intolerances. And it's great to know that there is hope when we do the right things for a while. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So let's talk about, let's pretend that, you know, you have a child come and you and some things show up. Obviously, we want to do some food elimination. Um, and I, at the end, I want to talk a little bit about just some tips for parents that are trying to eliminate some of the big allergens. Um, but talk to us about this super exciting new treatment that you are offering. And I've got a, several kids that need to come and see you for this. And I've just got to make it happen because it needs to because I've got one kid that has terrible seasonal allergies my gluten kid that I just talked about. And then I have um, my youngest who, you know, he definitely did not have any breast milk. He has a lot of asthmatic type symptoms and his skin is awful. I've got to get him to come and see you too. So um, talk to us. I know you would. And, and like they're coming and see, I'm just like every other mom, we get busy and we put the stuff off and I'm, I'm making myself accountable right now that I'm going to make appointments. So, um, anyway, but talk to us a little bit about the new treatment option that you have available for allergies. It's so exciting. It is so exciting. I love it because it works. <laughs> it is sublingual immunotherapy. So immunotherapy, what it is, and we think of shots, injections that you go to an allergist for. If you, if I uncovered that a kid has a true food allergy, then you can do sublingual drops under the tongue every day. You have to do them every day to slowly expose yourself to the allergens at the, at a very slow, steady pace. And you slowly expose yourself to more and more of the allergen so that your body stops to recognize it as foreign and stops reacting to it. So it's fascinating. Amazing. It's amazing. So, so with that tiny bit that you start with, do you generally see that people still have symptoms or not so much? When symptoms from the drops or symptoms? Yes, like from the drops. I'm sorry. Yeah. So the drops are so diluted it's like one in 40 million in the beginning gotcha and so typically kids do not show symptoms in the entire part like during the entire program gotcha some do because some have more severe allergies and if they do we just back down on increasing the exposure to the allergen which mm -hmm. is fine but the program the program is very successful that's so great and tell um Let's talk about all of the different types of allergies that it can be used for and also the length of time that kind of that full program may be for a, a typical child. So for food, there are over 40 different types of food. So it's a lot more than just the 12 that we test on the IGE panel. And we give you the ant antigen or the protein, the little diluted protein to all of the foods. And the, even if you say, say you're only allergic to wheat or an egg, right? We do them all. Why? Because we don't want people to develop an allergy down the line. And a lot of the proteins mimic each other. So it's, it's nice to know that, you know, you're going to do all, of, if you do these drops, you'll do all of these foods. 
right and develop a tolerance hopefully to to them um we also do a seasonal environmental allergy program so that includes dog and cat and all the grasses and the trees and mold and ragweed and um everything everything that you think oh wait uh dust mite that's a really big one right the little dust mites that are in our bedding and couch yeah cockroach and so that's (laughs) that's the that's the other program all those fun things and this is something that adults can do as well, correct? Yes, adults do it commonly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for both, yeah. both children and adults. So you put drops under your tongue. The beginning, the first three months is the starter kit. So that's when you gradually increase your exposure to the allergen. And then after that, you're in a maintenance phase. The awesome. All allergies, sublingual allergy programs say the length of the program is somewhere between two to five years. But I've been, I did this when I was working in Florida and my practice in Florida. And um, I saw that kids, because they're amazing and resilient, they would um, rebound and have almost no symptoms after a year. So I started doing trials off the drops after a year. Yeah. And a lot of kids were, were doing fine and then didn't even need to have, didn't even need to complete the program. And then, um, if they did get symptoms back, we would just start at where we were. One question. So with, and I know we're not talking really about seasonal allergens today, but do you recommend that the kids start those while they are experiencing symptoms during, you know, the early spring months, or does it really matter? It doesn't matter. Okay. That's good them, yep. They can start them anytime. And Easily. so for, sorry, for a child, um, with, you know, any kind of symptoms, do you generally do a test first to help figure out what exactly we're dealing with? Or can you generally tell by a consult, like, oh, it sounds like this, so we'll start with these? I almost always test if the parents are willing to um, allow the child to get some, for me to get blood from the child. Yeah. And the reason why is because you want to know what your allergens are. Sure. And, um, you also can have allergy symptoms and not actually have allergies. Right. Gotcha. So, okay. so you could have mold in your house and be sniffly, sneezy, congested and have sinus infections on and off. Mm-hmm. Um, you can have other like chemical intolerances. A lot of people are intolerant to all the crazy preservatives that we have. I'm pretty sure that my gluten kid, that that's also a thing for him. Just saying, because right. I feel like, <laughs> you know, as moms, we're always this, you know, we're constantly investigating, right? We're, we're the, the private investigator trying to figure out, um, play detective. And, you know, and this is something that like, I is part of what I do for a living. And I'm still trying to figure it out with this child, how, what is this combination that seems to trigger this, you know, and I do think that it's a combination. It's, not just gluten by itself, I don't think. I think there's something more to it. So, um, you know, yeah, at least I when commonly has, hear that. I commonly yeah. Hear that. yeah. And it does tend to be when it's like the heavily processed junky stuff. Like, for example, the kid ate a honey bun along with like some chips and who even knows what else. And I'm like, and we don't, we just don't have that kind of thing. And we don't eat a lot of, first of all, he doesn't eat gluten. Secondly, he doesn't eat a preservative heavy things. And I think when you, put it all together. It's just like the perfect storm, right? It is um, for sure. And then I know some, I have a friend whose kid, uh, one of her, her children 
is heavily um, responsive to dyes and um, not just so it makes her kind of crazy behaviorally, but on top of that, having, you know, allergy kind of symptoms. So unfortunately, in our American food supply, because, you know, we you would think that we would have like the cleanest food ever. And we absolutely don't. It's pretty much terrible. And so, um, you know, we, we do have artificial colors in literally everything. And, and all of that, you know, is, is taxing our kids and systems. And so, right. um, you know, right. there's a there's a lot to be said for all of this exposure that they're having. And it can be really hard to get to the bottom of it. But I love that you have not only a way to figure it out, but also this great new treatment option that hopefully sets our kids up to not have to deal with this for their entire lives. And so that's just awesome. Um, and, and, you know, empowering for people who are listening and can't come to us, like come in face to face, is that doing an elimination diet is the ultimate way to test your child. It's hard. Right. Like what you said, um, maybe they're allergic to the top three players are usually wheat, dairy, and egg that you're wondering mm-hmm. about, you know, that if you're intolerant to a food. Because if, if you're allergic to peanut, often um, you've already uncovered that and it's a more severe reaction. Right. So wheat and dairy and egg can be just intolerances and they can have all the vague symptoms that we talked about. But if if you choose for you know six weeks to three months to eliminate those foods from the diet allow the immune system to reboot let all those inflammatory cells get out of the body and just let the child thrive on a whole foods type diet which is Mm -hmm. a lot easier said than done so we should probably give tips for this right all right Um, and eat clean food. So eat clean food and then avoid avoid the main allergens, ideally for six months. But if you can, I mean, um, three months, but if you can make it for six weeks, usually when you then reintroduce one of those foods at a time, like whether you reintroduce egg or dairy or wheat first, you'll see right away if those symptoms that your child was ha- have, having prior to that return. And they'll return quickly at that point. Right. Because you've cleaned the body up so much at that point that yeah. then it it reacts pretty quickly. Sure. So, well, and I mean, just to just to finish our time too with a couple of tips. I mean, we fortunately we started cleaning out the way that we eat prior to having kids. And so it, it was a little bit easier, but you know, the, the great thing is there are so many options now for dairy substitutes, even nut-free ones. So if nuts are a problem too, there are so many options. I mean, just as an example, we have a great local bakery here called To Your Health Bakery. They, My birthday was on Friday and one of my dearest friends, knowing all of our food issues around here and our preferences, got us a six pack of vegan cupcakes that are gluten-free, dairy-free, all things free from there. And lo and behold, my kids decided that they were better tasting than the actual <laughs> normal thing. And I have to agree, like they're amazing. And and so Are you there? 
marketing, there is a lot of demand for gluten-free and dairy-free things. It's still so important to read the ingredients because a lot of times, especially for kids, a lot of that stuff can be even more sugar packed than the substitute and that kind of thing. So sure, we have to make our trade-offs, but you know, we eat in our house, especially for dinner, we eat a meat and a vegetable. And sometimes we have potatoes or a little bit of rice or lentils or something like that. But, you know, the good thing is when you eliminate all the junk, you can simplify things, you know, and then for dessert, we, you have fruit, like it's, it's not, you're not depriving anyone and it's fine. And you can find gluten-free substitutes for almost everything. I do so much of my shopping at Trader Joe's you can get little frozen pancakes and waffles as treats. I'm, I don't give these kinds of things to my kids every day. And then the other thing I do is I bake a lot with our mom fuel protein powder. It bakes really well. It makes delicious muffins and cookies and that kind of thing. And eventually they just don't even realize that they're missing anything. And sure, you might have to pack a special cupcake for the party at school, but it's not that complicated in the realm of things. It's really not. And so I think once we get over that first hump, and I always tell people, it's kind of like starting a new job, right? The first couple of weeks feel so intense and crazy because you're learning the ropes and it feels so exhausting. But then once you get the hang of it, it's like, it's not new anymore. And it's not that hard anymore. And you just kind of do your new thing. And so sure, it takes practice. But I really think that for most kids, it's just not that hard. Yeah. And if you challenge yourself in a fun way to think of what you do need to eat mm -hmm. as opposed to what to avoid. Right. We know that we need to eat all these beautiful colored fruits and vegetables, right? Mm -hmm. But the American diet calls for, you know, cereal, which is everything, everything that's the typical American diet, so to speak, is white or brown. <laughs> Right. If you think about it, it's like, okay, if we try to eliminate just the white or brown foods from our diet and we get all of the colored foods in there and we have to eat a rainbow of foods, let's say at least three bright foods a day and as many servings of fruits and vegetables as we can. And we get our protein sources from all different types of nuts. If you're not allergic to them, seeds, you know, um, animal animal proteins that come from well-treated animals in their in their roaming i mean in their field in their regular environment and all of those things are so so take so much time and energy and so beautiful such such a beautiful process that if we think about trying to do that as opposed to what we need to avoid it seems like you're it's it's motivating right it seems like you're sure. doing it for your health, not because, oh, I have this allergy and I have to avoid this thing. Well, really, I don't have very many food allergies, but I know that I want to avoid the majority of soy and corn and wheat and cow dairy, you know. Right, right. Same. So, but then it's a big change for most families. It's a super duper duper big change. So yeah. I have this, I have this theory that to, um, I talk about dabbling, then diving. It's yeah. like what you were talking about. Like, take your time for the first couple of weeks to shop around at all the different grocery stores, see where the deals are, mm -hmm. see where the good, you know, and, 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 um, and make a good list. Try some things out here and there. And in the process, 
be shifting what's in your in your cabinets like or right what's the non-southern word for cupboard the shelves <laughs> shelves cabinet i don't know yeah I where we, we keep all of that food that pantry yeah <laughs> pantry. there you go the food like substance right and start shifting yeah. that out and not supplying it with any more packaged food right and then, and then gets a staple like maybe 10 meals 10 meals that are you get used to cooking and you're good at it <laughs> and prep those meals with the family Mm-hmm. and it doesn't have to be complicated i mean i we grill a ton like has a pellet grill he grills on sundays most of our meat um and then you know i get vegetables in bulk sometimes i get like organic cabbage that's already shredded that kind of thing like we keep it really simple is it perfect as much as growing my own or going to the farmer's market no but is it better yes <laughs> and so yeah, you know and then we better. just i throw all that stuff in the air fryer and dinner's done you know it's that simple um and then I use the bent go boxes for my kids for their lunches. And it kind of those little compartments help me figure out like, okay, so they have a meat with a vegetable with hummus or something like that. And then some fruit and then some sort of a small amount of some gluten free, dairy free, all the things free, a little crunchy thing, you know, that did come out of the pantry, but it's just a small amount. And so that's satisfying. And yeah. so that's wonderful yeah and so it doesn't have to be crazy difficult is it going to be countercultural? yes yeah are your friends going to look at you weird probably but i think the thing is is just owning it and understanding that you're doing the right thing for your family and here's the funny thing that happens all those not all those friends some of those friends are going to come around and be like hey so I'm thinking that we need to clean things up around here. And I think that you could maybe help me mark my word. It's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes. This, this movement is strong and it's rapidly growing. Mm -hmm. I think we can band together as a community and share recipes, like you said, and share roles, maybe like you find an yes, amazing, totally. amazing farmer who grows the best strawberries ever. And, and you share the strawberries or you share, you know, about where to find them little things here and there and it'll go very far speaking about totally how to do it's definitely how to do um, this new clean move clean food movement <laughs> right right and like going to pick blueberries this time you know that are not Hey everybody, it's Emily here and Dr. Nicole and I got cut off at the very end of our episode, but I just wanted to finish the thought that blueberry farmers, for example, um, a lot of them are not certified organic because that can be really expensive, but they don't spray pesticides. And so if you just do research in your area, it's not terribly difficult to find those farmers and find, um, you know, kind of crunchy communities or other parents that are dealing with food intolerances and allergies who can help create community with you, which here at Healthy Discourse, we're all about community. So anyway, thank you so much for joining us today. You know where you can find Dr. Nicole, and I hope you've learned some things. If you have any questions, remember, you can always send us a message here at Healthy Discourse straight from Anchor, um, the the platform that we use for our podcast. And I'm so grateful for you joining us today. Hope you have a great day. Mm -hmm.